Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and this podcast is sponsored by the Indiana Women's Action Movement. Today, we have a just a treat for all of us. Um, Chris Gregg is here from Michigan, um, and she is a former state uh, House representative in Michigan and was the House leader for two years as well, and uh, has done a lot of work to get Democratic women elected in Michigan. And as and since uh, leaving the State House, is doing more wonderful work to promote uh, an agenda that includes policies that benefit women and children and all people uh, instead of corporations. So, um, so first, um, Chris, thank you so much for being with me and doing this because this is just really a thrill for me. Well, thanks, Deb. I'm, I'm really excited to be here too. Uh, when I hear your, you know, what's going on in Indiana and really trying to get women fired up, I, I just was really excited about it. Uh, a lot of you might not know, but I grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Plymouth, Indiana, um, just south of South Bend. I have 11 brothers and sisters. Uh, so, uh, and most of them still live in Indiana too. So I have very strong Michigan-Indiana connection. And it was a lot of those Hoosier sensibilities that I brought with me to Michigan when I made that big leap at 50 years old to decide to run for office. And one of the reasons I did was because I felt there weren't enough voices from women in making um, good policy and good budget decisions too. Um, Michigan was losing ground in terms of female representation in government. And I was going to do something about that. <laughs> My particular district, I got to say, though, had a, a history of electing women and sending them to Lansing. So I certainly wasn't a first in my own district. But um, when I got up uh, to Lansing, there were only, I think, 13 or 14 Democratic women out of 110 uh, representatives in the state of Michigan's House. Uh, so I wanted to make it a point to have more people, more women elected. And right away, you know, I've, I formed a leadership pack, it's called, and raised money specifically to go to, to women candidates to help them not only get elected, but um, once they were elected to be in leadership roles. So, so incredibly important because you can be at the table, but you know, you have a bigger voice when you're at the head of the table too. So I felt that that was extremely important. And then uh, in Indy, I'm sorry, in Michigan, we have pretty strict term limits. So I only had three terms to serve in the house. Um, first term, getting my feet wet, deciding what to do. Second term, I actually served as the floor leader. So that's the person that's in charge of like getting all your members um, in their seats, knowing what they're voting on, who's giving speeches, who's doing amendments, all of that, which and it's, kind of, it's considered the number two position in the caucus. And then uh, as leader in my third term, and I was only the second woman to lead a caucus in the House in Michigan's, you know, 130 year history. Wow. So we knew that that was a problem too. Um, but I got to say, when I was elected in that third term, that was a huge wave of women getting elected. And as I served as leader, we actually reached 50-50. And even for a while, we had a vacancy had more women than men serving in the House Democratic Caucus. And the Senate in 2018 went from one out of 11 Democrats being a, a woman to eight out of 16. So wow. overnight, it went you know, from such little representation to gender parity. So um, that was a huge achievement of our caucus. 
uh, both caucuses uh, in, in Michigan, but also we elected Gretchen Whitmer as governor, Dana Nessel as attorney general, Jocelyn Benson uh, as our secretary of state, our party chair, Lavora Barnes was a woman, our chief justice of the state Supreme Court, Democratic woman, um, and five out of our seven congressional delega uh, Democratic delegation women. So it was just a huge, huge shift in Michigan. And in how long did it take you to make this change? Oh, well, th th this was a long time coming and it was <laughs> clearly not just me doing it, but uh, clearly the election of Donald Trump in 2016 was a catalyst. Um, I first ran in 2014 and I just told most women, I just got mad two years before you did. <laughs> and so uh, what we saw was this tremendous organization across the state um, just to say, you know, we, this fight is not over and it's not just electing people that, you know, will, will stand up for women and their health care and their, their economic, you know, success, education. It's about leadership too. And you have to actually have elected representation of that group too. So I remember during one of my debates, candidate debates in my primary, that one of the questions was, what can you do to help women when you're in office? Or what's what's one thing we can do, you know, that will benefit women? And I said, elect more women. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. But it was a lot of groups uh, really working hard to let women know this that sounds kind of kind of weird, but women traditionally have had to been asked and asked and asked to run. Yes. But I saw, and I saw this in myself in 2014, I wasn't waiting for anyone to ask me to run. I said, you know what? I have a voice. I have life experience. Um, I can do this and I'm going to find out how to do it well. <laughs> so I got training. And then when I realized that there could be much more training and much more recruiting to help women, that's when I formed my pack and I started working with groups. Like we have a, a really big group here again, that formed after 2016 called Femmes for Dems. They helped all over the state as well. And you just saw this huge collective effort to find great candidates. And I got to tell you, most of our candidates actually were women in 2018 and 2020. And we could see that um, voters really responded to that and wanted to give wanted to give women that that leadership baton and see what see what we could do. Right. Things, you know, things have got to be better. And so you know, it was just this great collective effort uh, that happened in a very short time frame once we gained momentum. But leading up to that point took a really long time. And when you don't have a, a deep bench, when you're not looking at local races too and getting started there, it makes it harder to make that jump. But we were able to, to get that done in, in four short years, really. Oh, that's great. So tell me, you know, what's, what was the impact as far as policy from all of that great success? Well, I think what you saw now, again, like uh, Indiana, Michigan is still uh, dominated by the Republicans in the legislature. So unfortunately, you didn't see um, a lot of the bills passing that you would that the women would introduce. Right. So we have a progressive women's caucus in Michigan and we would uh, introduce legislation on reproductive freedom, on uh, uh, ending the pay gap on, you know, access um, to contraception, on public education, you know, jobs, childcare, all of that stuff. And so the conversation started changing too, because sometimes 
you know, it's, it's kind of a long game. You have to make sure that people are aware of the issue, that the problem you're trying to solve, what your solution is. And so those conversations started to change and we started to get more attention paid to that too. And so we are poised, um, you know, if, if Democrats get control, especially to just run with those policies, they're there, they're ready to go. We have a lot of experts in terms of the women legislators themselves that are ready to take that mantle and, and get those policies passed. Now, in the short term, some of the big accomplishments are a lot of them are on the budget side. So when you're there, do you know, in Michigan, we had a $60 billion budget. When you're on the Appropriations Committee, or actually anyone in the caucus can ask for, for funding for projects or anything like that, you saw that a lot more was going to um, issues that women have been talking about a long time, right? For supporting and lifting people out of poverty, the, you know, talking about um, projects with human trafficking or, you know, survivors, things like that. You could see the impact of having more women there when it came to the budget process as well. And that's something that you do collectively too. So that's a lot easier to get some of those things accomplished, even if you're in the minority. That's awesome. Yeah. Indiana um, has so many problems um, on these issues. I mean, it's shocking uh, to see what happens when women and Democrats uh, have no voice uh, mm -hmm. in the legislature. Uh, Indiana is like number three in the country for infant mortality rates, uh, number five for maternal mortality rates. Um, we're in the top 10 for our toxic emissions and uh, and at you know of course the bottom of the barrel for teacher pay and um, and teacher benefits. Uh, so these these are the kind of policies that really just get thrown out um, when there are not enough Democrats and not enough women. Well, so, and, and, yeah, and I mean that's why it's so important. Again, I, I specifically made that comment that I was 50 years old when I decided to run for office, and I was a uh, IT professional. I uh, stayed at home with the kids for eight years and got involved in volunteering in, in the schools. And I was one of those busybody parents that was always trying to see how I could help the teacher or work with the school board or whatever to make things better for everyone's kids. I was on the state PTA board and all that. Um, but a lot of people that were in my position, like a stay-at-home mom, uh, you know, would think that they had nothing to offer to serve in office. And we're exactly the people that need to be serving in office because we're the ones that are keeping the family together, driving our kids to school or to church or to jobs, you know, we're, and we're working ourselves and we're, you know, we are exactly the voices that are need for good policy and good investments with our taxpayer dollars too. So I don't want any woman thinking they don't have the resume to run for office because our lives are our resumes and we should be running yeah. for office. Absolutely. And as I told you earlier, uh, you know, starting in 2019, I was really very active going around the state, talking to Democratic women all over, wonderful, terrific women meeting, just wonderful. And um, and that was the most common response when I would say, you know, have you thought about, you know, running for office or running for state legislature? And the, the first, um, you know, response was, well, oh, no, I'm, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified enough. And these were women who had degrees and all kinds yeah. of experience and, and women who really, like you say, were not, you know, out there, you know, um, mounting a big career, but really were managing all kinds of things um, in households and neighborhoods and communities uh, and really very well qualified 
to deal with the issues facing a legislator. And yeah, so, I mean, when, um, when you- so it was really, and so my, my, my response um, that I developed after, um, you know, hearing this, I mean, I feel like, okay, if, I, if somebody else tells me that, I'm just, <laughs> I've had it. But um, finally, I started saying to women who would tell me that, I would say, okay, well, if you're not qualified enough, give me the name of another woman who's more qualified than you. Um, and oftentimes that would kind of shift the conversation. Mm. Um, you know, women would say, well, yeah, I don't know. I am doing a lot of stuff. And so, so mm-hmm. and women just were not actually um, accustomed to honestly being asked and being told that they were qualified. Um, and, and to be honest, many women uh, in groups, and I would say, okay, how many of you have thought about running, um, but were told you weren't qualified or told you weren't tough enough? And almost all the hands would go up. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, that was the kind of feedback women generally get is that they're just, you know, they don't know enough. They're not tough enough. Oh, you've got kids at home. You know, it just goes on and on. So I got anyway, to say growing up job. was, yeah, going, growing up with seven brothers really helped my competitive edge there too. So I was yeah. always trying to keep up with them or exceed them. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I ran in my first primary, I beat the sitting mayor of my city. Um, and, and I did that because of all those years I spent working in the volunteering in the schools, helping the community, I had created this, this sisterhood. It, I mean, truly was a sisterhood. And I knew, I knew friends and and people I had volunteered with in every single corner of my district and they helped me in every single spot. And that's one of the things that a lot of people will not even take into consideration, but we've built these huge networks of friends and, you know, uh, families that our kids, you know, went to school with and everything like that. And it makes a huge difference. That's how, that's how you win elections. And we've got a lot of that, regardless yeah. of, of what your career, your, your professional career may or may not have been. Right. So, uh, uh, all right. I want to shift gears a little bit because, and this is wonderful and it's so awesome to hear about your success. It's very inspiring for me. Um, but now, after having left the State House, you are taking on a new role, and that is the Senior Advisor for Lawmaker Engagement Network for an organization called Future Now, which I, I did contact. You know, when I started this whole adventure, I thought, surely there's somebody already doing this in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, search couldn't find anybody. I was like, okay, well, surely there's some national organization who's helping states with this issue. And, and I did find a few and Future Now was one of them. And in fact, one of the wonderful staff people there um, contributed uh, some training for us, for our candidates on fundraising, which was excellent. Um, yes. but, um, but now tell us about what you're doing at Future Now, which I think is changing the name. Yeah. Sorry, but so- tell us all about that. Future now um, actually formed again in the wake of the 2016 election, but for a lot of a lot of different reasons. But the whole idea was that, you know, we need a lot of change in this country. We need to make sure everyone has health care. We need to make sure there's clean water, clean air. But it's we can't rely on the federal government to get this done. The way to get this done is through the state legislatures. And we need to make sure that we are getting uh people elected that have these values of passing policy that really improves people's lives. I mean, that's what, it's all, well, that's what we all want for ourselves and our families is we want our lives to, to get better, not to be more of a struggle. So um, 
there weren't any real organizations or too many organizations nationally that had the sole focus on state legislatures. Right. And the other thing that, that makes it Future Now unique is not only does it help you with the policy side and share best practices from a lot of different states, um, but also on the political side, how do you get good people elected, people that, that have these values that work really hard? And so it sees you know, the intersection of both of those. Um, when you have good policy, that helps with better elections. And then it, when you have good candidates that support that. So they, they had a very holistic approach. Now, Michigan is a battleground state. We've been oh, so close for so long to flip control of the state house. I was actually a client or a customer, uh, however you want to call us, of Future Now. Um, so I worked closely with them for four years, helping us uh, think through our policy agenda, what were our, our priorities, and um, what were some of the things other states were doing that would help us um, communicate our values and, and what policy we would pass. So I already had a great experience with, with this organization. So when I was trying to decide how to pay it forward. And, you know, let's make no mistake, after serving during the pandemic and everything else that, I mean, we had, you know, the storming of the Michigan Capitol, they tried to knock down the door while we were in session. I could hear all the chants, seeing guns everywhere. It was a rough two years <laughs> when I was serving as the leader. And it, you know, I did have to take some time off, but I, I kept thinking like, I could not have gone through all that I went through and not share those experiences with other lawmakers to help them hopefully have a little smoother time in transitioning into being a lawmaker or how to develop strategy, how to get, you know, how to do great constituent services. So when I was reflecting on where I could actually put my time and energy and really get something out of it, Future Now was a no brainer because as the senior advisor for lawmaker engagement, I talk to lawmakers across the country and let them know that we have these resources, no charge for any of these resources, any of these services um, on the legislative side with policy. We have a fellows program. We have, you know, policy idea library, things like that. So my job is to let them know that there are groups out there that want to help and understand what you're going through. I went through it. Um, and so it's, it's, to, it's to build that connection. And we are uh, rebranding that one, that function of Future Now is going to be called the Lawmaker Network. So it's very clear what we do. We connect lawmakers with each other to have really great policy for the state and then therefore for the country. So our goal is to have uh, America's goals uh, implemented in, you know, almost every state if we can by 2030. So we're working on this path uh, state by state to get policy passed and also on the more political side through the States Project, that's another affiliate of Future Now, um, actually get people elected to change governing power in this country too. If you wanna see what those policies are, you can actually go to americasgoals.org and actually look it up. It's good jobs, it's clean air, clean water, healthcare. It's stuff that's no brainer and it's actually been you know, researched too that it's they're wildly supported by Democrats, but they're also supported by a majority of Republicans and independents, too. So it's common sense legislation that focuses on improving lives. It's people centered policies. It's not special interests. It's not corporations. It's not tax breaks. It's not all that stuff. It's about what kind of policy is popular, economical and improves lives. It's it's a great combination. So um, 
yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> what a great project. So, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, um, of course, I, I always come back to, well, we're going to have to get more Democratic women elected uh, to get these kinds of agendas uh, advanced in the state legislatures. So, um, so I, um, I, I'm so inspired by the work that you did in Michigan. And, um, and I hope that, um, that I can call on you um, again to help inspire the Democratic women candidates um, that will be running in Indiana in 2022. Uh, we've had a lot of women already stand up uh, to and take it, you know, ready to go. They're ready to run. So we're very excited about that. And, um, and we're going to be, um, of course, helping those uh, Democratic women. Uh, I believe that Democratic women are in such a great position to speak to many of the concerns that both Republicans and Democrats have. Um, you know, the climate crisis. Uh, women around our state see their children being impacted uh, by poor air quality, uh, you know, contaminated water, contaminated soil, and women think about the future uh, mm -hmm. of that situation. Do, women who can contemplate that being the future for grandchildren is, you know, cannot cope and will not stand for it. And yeah. so, um, and I think, so I think, you know, Democratic women are really, you know, in a good position. And of course, and, and I would love to hear what's happening in your state as far as abortion. Of course, it's going to be on the agenda here in Indiana. One of the state uh, senators, uh, Senator, I think it's a Senator, Liz Brown, has already introduced um, a bill. I, we don't even go into session until January, um, mm -hmm. but she's already got a bill ready to, uh, to, to introduce that is exactly like SB8 out of Texas. And yeah. so, so we'll be having that fight. And of course, Democratic women candidates, in my opinion, are certainly in the best position to argue uh, about having control of our own bodies, our own health, and our own financial security. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so Democratic women, I, I think they're ready to lead in Indiana. And we hope that we have the same you know, wave of Democratic women elected, just like uh, in Michigan. And, um, and hopefully, we will get a much closer to, um, you know, breaking the supermajority in Indiana, which is just yeah that and that's that's really important. I, I just want to give one one more shout out for you know for running for office. It's not only you know being a woman, but the diversity of age is so incredibly important. The uh, finding candidates of color as well. You know, the other thing is when I led to, we had the most diverse caucus in the history of, of Michigan too. We had our first Hindu American immigrant, uh, a good friend of mine, Padma Koopa elected, the first Armenian woman elected, the highest number of African-American women serving as well. And those uh, unique perspectives as well also make really good sound policy. We have a lot of younger lawmakers too. Like here, I was saying, you know, how I was 50 years old, but you want younger lawmakers too. So when you talk about the cost of college, they are living it still. They're paying off those college debts. What it, debt, what it's like to find, you know, to be able to afford a house, whether to decide to have children or not. Things like that are all policies that if you don't have representation there at the table, you're shortchanging, you know, the, the lives of your constituents. So, you know, you, you want to bring everyone to the table that you can because it, it makes it more complex, but it's richer and uh, uh, just helps more people in your state when you have those different perspectives. Absolutely. And that is just a concept that I don't know how we got away from in the mm -hmm. last several years, because it, it just makes such perfect sense that, you know, the more diverse, the more rich, the more, the more complex and representative of the population. Right. 
So that, I don't know, we'll, we're, we'll get back to that. We will get, well, back. you know, life is complex. There's the, you know, and, and women know that, and we're not afraid to tackle it. We know that, you know, things are messy and, you know, being in government sometimes is like changing a dirty diaper. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's got to be done. Sometimes you got to hold your nose and do different things, but you know, we get that. We really do. And that is why it is just so, so important for women to step up and run for office at all levels, yes. local, you know, county, state, federal, all of that. We need, we need a deep bench, the judiciary as well. Um, and, you think about it. Think about running. I know I'm trying to talk my sister into it. She's a, okay. a high school teacher in Indiana. So. Oh, really? Oh, well, yes, know, send me is. her name. I will give her a call. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> so Fantastic. I would love to do that. So, all right, great. So um, thank you again for being with me today and talking about this. This is so important and very inspiring. Um, you know, we are really ready in Indiana. Democratic women are just stepping up all over and we're very excited about this future. Well, I'll so, be making a lot of trips and hopefully get to meet some candidates. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. And thank you to Future Now. I mean, I think, um, you know, I was so um, appreciative of their support, even though they weren't doing a whole lot of work in Indiana. They were, you know, they were nice and supported my work in any way mm -hmm. they could, which was really wonderful. And yeah. it helped our candidates a lot. So yeah, it's it was a great. great. <laughs> so, all right, great. So, um, all right. So any um, final words of wisdom, Chris, that you'd like to pass along? Well, how about gratitude and appreciation? Because for those women that have stepped up to, to run for office and to the women that are supporting those women, mm -hmm. we need that village. We need to wrap our arms around each other, support each other, encourage each other and get out there and win, win these elections. And even if you don't win, your voice matters so much in your community, because if you're not running, no one's hearing those values, those problems you're trying to solve, the challenges, the hopes, the aspirations of your, your neighbors. Um, and that's our voice. We're really good at that. And you should be proud of what you've done and keep it up. It's, it's hard work that takes a long, long time, but we keep making these steps toward progress. I talked to you about how it happened in Michigan. Um, you just got to keep at it. So thank all you right. for all the all that effort that you put into to women running in Indiana. Oh yeah, yeah, we're not finished. We got you know <laughs> we got a lot of fight left in us. So but. we're gonna keep at it. But thank you so much again. So all right, and then uh, until next time.